always keep in mind that Russia has the ability to destroy this planet by somebody pushing the button. And we have no defense against those nuclear weapons. The Canadian government is taking a hard stance on Russia at the risk of provoking the bear. I'm Nikki Reitmeyer, and this is Why. We've got to work hard to get some kind of a bigger picture and uh, connect to Russia. And if possible, if possible, we should be looking to moderate those things that Russia does that we do consider offensive. That's Jeremy Kinsman. He's pretty well versed on the subject. He's actually the former Canadian ambassador to Russia. Let's go back in history. Let's go back in time. Did Canada ever have a good relationship with Russia? Oh, Canada, when I was ambassador to Russia in the 1990s, we had an absolutely top relationship with Russia. I would say a privileged relationship with Russia. I was very uh, privileged to have been uh, Canada's ambassador at a time when we were uh, actually a favored partner of Russia. We were a neighbor. And we did always have communication over sort of neighborly things, cooperation in the Arctic and a variety of things. We Listen, we all also had hockey. You know, it was a big deal. 1972, that series, uh, that just bonded the two countries, even though it was a form of war on the ice. Uh, we were a loyal NATO partner, but we were still able to keep a relationship uh, between the two countries. Now, there's no ideological difference. And so you would think that we would still have the potential of uh, maintaining relationships. But uh, I'm afraid we've lost our touch on that, and I hope it comes back. Why did we lose our touch on that? Why has that relationship soured? Oh, you know, people will talk a lot about that. I think, you know, the Ukrainian issue is, is more important to Canada than perhaps to some other Western countries because we have a large Ukrainian population. And that population came to Canada essentially at the beginning of the last century or in the 20s. A lot of those Ukrainians fled Ukraine because of the huge famine that occurred in 1928-29. A famine that occurred was not a famine for natural reasons. It was man-made. And it was uh, the product of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, of Stalin's obsession with the collectivization of agriculture. And they squeezed uh, Soviet agriculture, which was, which was not only found in Ukraine, but mainly in Ukraine. They tried to eliminate the class of farmers that were called kulaks, who were wealthy peasants, eliminate them entirely. And in doing so, uh, therefore, enable the collectivization uh, to uh, take place, which was a, a brutal thing to people who for generations had worked their own land. You can understand that. Uh, it was a man-made famine. It was a huge mass atrocity. Millions died, several million uh, Ukrainians, and, and a few million Russians along the Volga and elsewhere 
Uh, they died because the Russian state was taking their grain and their, their produce and putting it on the world market for hard currency in order to facilitate industrialization. And they starved. And it has always been a source of deep resentment on the part of the uh, Ukrainian community of Canada, who believed that it was genocidal, that uh, it was an attempt to get Ukrainians. Well, if it was, it was on the part of the Soviet Communist Party, whose head was a Georgian. And so it shouldn't be held against the Russian people as being Russians against Ukrainians. But it stuck in uh, the psyche of Canadian Ukrainians. And it has worked its way into Canadian politics because they're frankly, I mean, uh, just by the calculus, more Ukrainian Canadians than there are Russian Canadians. And it's gone downhill from there. Okay, so that kind of brings us up to today. And here we are now at this really tense time in history. Putin is, as you said, uh, adversarial towards the West. We know that Russia meddled in the U.S. election. There's speculation that Russia could meddle in future Canadian elections as well. So U.S. President Donald Trump holds a summit in Helsinki, which is the capital of Finland, and he meets there with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Can you explain to me what happened at that summit? Well, we don't know what happened between Trump and Putin because uh, most of the meeting was uh, between just the two of them with interpreters. All we saw was the press conference, and the press conference uh, seemed to radiate Trump's friendliness toward Vladimir Putin and agreement on most issues. Thank you very much. Thank you. I have just concluded a meeting with President Putin on a wide range of critical issues for both of our countries. We had direct, open, deeply productive dialogue went very well. There are two things wrong with this picture from the point of view of Americans looking at it. One is that he'd insulted, I mean, really insulted the leaders of the countries uh, to which the United States has been the closest of allies. He called Justin Trudeau weak and ineffective. He went on and, and really questioned Angela Merkel's leadership in Germany, starting with the the ill-fated G7 summit in Charlevoix in June. It's a summit of America's closest and most important allies. It's pretty clear that no one has told Trump who America's friends are, and more worrisome, no one has told Trump who America's enemies are. This used to be the G8, not the G7. I think it would be an asset to have Russia back in. And this off-the-cuff suggestion that Vladimir Putin should come back into the G8 club, well, it's just absolutely mind-boggling. And going through to this catastrophic uh, NATO summit, was it only last week? Gosh, I guess it was. Well, that critical NATO meeting in Brussels is over, but not before President Trump managed to trigger confusion and some disarray. And then going on to his, uh, his kind of comedic trip to England afterwards. Even before the president arrived, the anti-Trump protests were already underway. The largest anti-Trump protest will include this giant baby Trump blimp, which will fly above British Parliament. He got a regal welcome from the Queen, but overshadowed it with an explosive interview with a British tabloid, accusing the British Prime Minister Theresa May of wrecking Brexit. Having, you know, really taken a wrecking ball to the NATO summit, he went to Britain 
And uh, he gave an interview to the pro-Brexit, anti-government, Murdoch-owned son, in which he uh, really supported Boris Johnson for Prime Minister of Britain. She was his host, for heaven's sake. There's never been a prime minister in a weaker position. And he went ahead and 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 castigated her. Yeah, sure, he semi-apologized uh, later on. I would give our relationship with the UK, and now, especially after this two days, uh, with uh, your prime minister, I would say the highest level of special. Now, am I allowed to go? Am I allowed to go higher than that? I'm not sure. But that treatment of allies contrasted with his treatment of Vladimir Putin, about whom and about whose policies he's never had a harsh word uh, to offer. So people are puzzled. And uh, this plays in the United States to a growing atmosphere of Russophobia. After the Helsinki summit, our prime minister, Justin Trudeau, he really showed great contrast to what Trump was saying. He condemned Putin for many of his most notorious acts, including the annexation of Crimea. Whether it's uh, their interference in Syria, the support for the murderous Assad regime we're responsible for and the chemical weapons attack in uh, Salzburg. We stand very strongly uh, with Eastern European nations. Uh, Canada has always been clear and unequivocal in our condemnation uh, of the actions of Vladimir Putin and Russia. Do you think that Trudeau was on point with his criticisms? Well, he is. He is. I mean, he was asked a question and he gave an answer. And that is the attitude on the part of the Canadian government. Now, there's nothing wrong with meeting the president of Russia. In fact, I would say it's been an imperative uh, for American presidents um, since the Second World War. You don't, you know, meeting a president, uh, having a summit isn't uh, an indication uh, that you approve of what that uh, person or that person's country, uh, its policies are about. It is fundamentally a cautionary and vital step in managing international security. And these are, as Trump says, the two countries that control 90% of the world's nuclear weapons, and they have a lot of overlapping interests. But if you're going to have that meeting, you've got to have it according to certain sort of implicit ground rules. And one of them is that you confront the bad as well as articulating hopes for the good. And uh, Russia has done uh, several things which are considered hostile. Now, Russia thinks that uh, the West has done things that are hostile to Russia. Those are the things you got to talk about. But you've got to make the case that some things to us aren't acceptable. And, and most notoriously, the annexation of uh, Crimea. And Trump did not do that. So, yeah, I think that uh, Trudeau's correctly identified some issues that uh, on which uh, Russian behavior is not acceptable to us. Uh, he should also clearly establish that as the two countries, Canada and Russia, which together inhabit most of the northern part of our planet, that we have to try to get along at a given point, he has to say, because our relations with Russia have also hit ground zero. I mean, there's really no content there now.
like the former ambassador said, you know, we really don't know what happened in that closed door meeting with Presidents Trump and Putin. But a guy who might have a better understanding of the mind games they likely played and the posturing they most certainly did is Jack Barsky. Now, I'll tell you right now, that's not his real name. It's a name he took off the death certificate of an 11-year-old boy when he moved to America to work undercover as a KGB spy. Jack Barsky managed to get out of the KGB when his cover became compromised. So now he speaks pretty openly about his life. And he's even written a book called Deep Undercover, My Secret Life and Tangled Alliances as a KGB Spy in America. I talked to him on Skype from his home in the United States, where he lives with his family. I suppose my very first question for you, writing the book or talking to me right now, as a former spy, aren't you nervous? Um, I found the right answer for that. And you're asking this question at a time when I really don't hesitate with that answer anymore because it's a, it's a tricky question to answer. And so here, here it goes. Uh, as a Canadian, I don't know, have you ever been to a, a, a real nice beach with uh, fine sand? Yeah. All right. So, and you know, if you've been there long enough and, you know, you went swimming and you spend about a week and then you go home and a year later and you, you use the same suitcase and, and there's still sand in that silly suitcase. Right. Well, there's sand in my suitcase. When the bottom line is when, when you have touched the uh, realm, the underground realm, the espionage realm in some way, you can't really escape the residues. Let's talk about <clears throat> what happened when Trump was in that closed door meeting with Putin. We don't really know what happened in that room, but I'm no. more interested in the psychology of what was going on from your perspective. Quite frankly, between the two of them, I don't really think there was much more than idle chatter. You gotta, you gotta say, understand one thing. Even in that press conference, which I watched, and it was cringeworthy. It was even particularly the, the football moment it was all words. Now, words mean something, but on the other hand, actions speak a lot louder than words. And whatever they exchange in private, you know what Donald Trump, he constantly says one thing and then he corrects himself the next day and says, what I said yesterday was probably fake news. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, 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 and Putin, whatever he says, I think it was sort of shadow boxing, guaranteed not a love fest where they embraced each other the folks in the United States who think that Trump is in the pocket of Vladimir Putin are wrong, period. Can't imagine that. Now, that's my opinion. You know, I, I don't have factual knowledge, but that's my opinion that they're plain dead wrong. These two people have egos that are way too big for one to submit to the other. Interesting. I always imagine, though, that Putin is so much savvier than Trump, especially well, because he's a former KGB agent. Well, never mind the KGB. This KGB agency is, is overplayed and overhyped, and he has participated uh, uh, in that hype. 
you don't get that kind of training to be really cagey and clever. He is cagey and clever, period, not because he, he was uh, he was KGB. He's operated in the political realm for now more than 20 years, and he managed to climb to the top in a highly competitive environment in post-Soviet Russia. And he came from very humble beginnings. That means he is a he's an extremely clever operative. From that angle, I'd say absolutely. It's it's when when you play a tennis match and you're giving love thirty down at every set. The two of them are ill matched when it comes to personal interaction. Canada and the United States are taking two very different approaches when it comes to Russia. Mm-hmm. Trump seems to be taking a method of flattery, whereas Prime yeah. Minister Trudeau has condemned Russia for the annexation of Crimea and for various other acts as well. And we currently have troops, a large number, stationed in Latvia. In your opinion, mm. what is the right approach to take with Putin and with Russia? That approach of flattery or that hardline approach? Flattery doesn't work. In the history, where well, we have a record as to what happened, being nice to Adolf Hitler didn't mean a thing. Being nice to Joseph Stalin didn't make him less of a dictator. No, flattery plain out doesn't work. Uh, the answer to your question is, I would like to name a name, Ronald Reagan. You know, he was, he was pretty tough and he was so tough that... Uh, Probably a lot of Canadians were thinking we we are like very close to World War III. Uh, now, interestingly enough, somebody who was far to the left of the political spectrum to the old Ronald Reagan is being tough on Russia. So uh, interesting observation here. I think you've got to be firm. You've got to be firm, not aggressively so. Always keep in mind that Russia has the ability to destroy this planet by somebody pushing the button. And we have no defense against those nuclear weapons. We're doing very well. As the American president tries to convince his country that getting along with Vladimir Putin is in their best interest, on Thursday, the Russian Defense Ministry aired Hollywood-style footage of its new superweapons. Videos show the testing and operation of a new generation of nuclear and conventional weapons that Putin first announced in March. The display comes just days after Monday's summit in Helsinki. Canada has chosen to side with countries like the Ukraine or Latvia against Russia. In fact, you may or may not know, but we're leading a NATO battle group in Latvia right now. And that was set up in response to Russia's surprise annexation of Crimea back in 2014 and its invasion of eastern Ukraine. So basically, our soldiers are there because Canada and our allies don't want the same thing to happen to Latvia. And oddly enough, one of the biggest threats our soldiers face in Latvia isn't bullets from Russia. It's fake news. The Russians are creating and then spreading these fake news stories about our troops to turn public sentiment against them. Stories like, for example, our soldiers are staying in Latvian taxpayer-funded luxury apartments. Stuff like that. So to find out how Canadian soldiers are fighting fake news, I called up Harjit Sajan. Sajan, how are you doing? I can hear you. The Minister of National Defence. How would you currently describe Canada's relationship with Russia? Well, it's definitely strained, given uh, Russia's actions around the world. Um, 
as I've stated a number of times before, and as has the Prime Minister, uh, we urge Russia to come back in the rule-based order so we can have a constructive dialogue. So on top of all the reasons that the Prime Minister has mentioned for those tensions, you know, the annexation of Crimea, their involvement in Syria, attacking a former spy on British soil, on top of all of that, our troops in Latvia are also currently being targeted by Russia with fake news. Yes, I mean, this is something not new in terms of what Russia has been doing. They've they've done this and what they've done in the U.S., for example, other parts of, of the world. And so we are also a target because of the leadership role that we are taking around the world, and especially in Latvia, where we are sending a strong message on behalf uh, of NATO. You know, there have been fake news stories uh, created in an attempt to bring the reputation down of our, our troops. But what we have been doing is, one, working with our allies and how to deal with this in a technological sense. But more importantly, the most effective way of this is what our troops are doing on the ground. They're actually building relationships with the Latin population, the communities themselves, so they can get introduced themselves to who they are. And, uh, like, for example, for everything from uh, visits to playing hockey uh, together. And so when relationships are built... When somebody writes any type of fake news story, say, no, no, I, I, I don't, that's not true because I just met these folks and, um, and, and they're this way, not the way that they're being described. I love the wholesome way. It's such a Canadian way that we're approaching fake news. Ah, we'll just go play <laughs> hockey with them. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So just to be really clear, too, about fake news, because um, I think it is so interesting Fake news is something that Canadians should really be concerned about coming from Russia. This isn't just a situation where the Russians were targeting the Americans. Even in Canada, we need to be savvy as news consumers. We will be targeted here in Canada, and we need to be mindful of that. Fake news is is a reality. Um, unless you're getting from a credible news source, you really need to be mindful when we sometimes hit a retweet button or hit, hit a like to things, because that's what they're counting on. So we, we have to build resiliency ourselves, obviously in the media. Uh, I know that all of you are taking this extremely seriously to making sure that you know, certain information is, is, is correct. Um, and we as a government put all the right tools in place, and we're doing that now with the significant investment in, in cyber. Um, and we're looking at uh, you know, putting the right tools in place, the right governance structure. When we do this, it send a very strong message of deterrence to Russia saying these type of activities that you have created, which is a method really to create discord within populations, is not going to work. So by creating this level of deterrence of the, and demonstrating the capabilities that we have and the resilience that we have built, it, hopefully Russia will then come back into what I consider uh, the normality, uh, which is the rule-based order, which countries should be operating. If you have disputes, there are mechanisms in place on how to uh, resolve them. It will actually just reduce tensions uh, around the world because if, cause if you don't, we, we, we already have enough conflicts and strife to deal with in many parts of the world, and especially when it comes to groups like ISIS, and creating new ones does not help uh, anybody's population. Why would Russia want to target us anyways? I mean, we're just little old Canada. Why, why would they target <laughs> us with their fake news and their election rigging? When we do look at Canada, we have a perception of, of who we are, but if you look at our history... Canada always has been a very strong voice internationally, and I'll be always stood up for uh, the positive values, a rule-based order society, and what we represent is, in a way, opposite to what Russia uh, is is going. 
we're standing up to the rights of uh, Ukrainians in what's happening in, in the Donbass area. We're, we have troops on the ground. We stand up when when chemical weapons have been used in, in Syria by Assad, who's been supported by uh, President Putin. We're standing up for when nerve agents are being used on a very close ally of ours in the UK. So we do have significant influence. We have stepped up in NATO in a leadership role, which puts us into more of a significant target. I have confidence in our population, but we need to make sure that we all work together so that we build a resiliency for our nation. Minister Sajan, I really appreciate you talking to me. Oh, thank you for having me. As long as Russia doesn't abide by the rules-based international order, constructive dialogue isn't going to take place, at least according to what the Canadian government is saying. So for now, the threat of Russia meddling in Canada's political discourse in the future remains a real one. This Is Why is produced by John O'Dowd and me, Nikki Reitmeyer. Email us your comments, your questions, or your story ideas. This is why at globalnews.com. We're on Twitter too, at This Is Why. And if you haven't already, download and subscribe to This Is Why on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. While you're at it, give us a rating and a review. Yes, we've been seeing your feedback, we've been seeing your reviews, and we really appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.